So guys, welcome back to Cracks in the Cloister. This is Father Demetrius Thomas. We are joined tonight not only with... Brother Will. But we also have on the line a good friend of mine from seminary. Hi everybody, my name's Adam. So Adam, if you're my boy from seminary, why ain't I call your brother Adam? Well, because I was a Salesian for 10 years. However, uh, back in 2017, I discerned to leave uh, the seminary and go the lay route uh, with the intention of becoming a diocesan priest after three or four years. But uh, then I met a lady who changed the course of my life and I got married. So... Yeah, I was a brother at your first mass, but that was like my last official engagement before I left uh, the seminary. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I remember that. So let, let's back up and kind of get the the full story for those of us who don't know Adam. Um, so Adam, uh, what what sort of attracted you at first to the Salesians, and, and about how old were you when you started thinking about it? Sure. So I was a senior in high school when I first started actively discerning a vocation. Um, my grandmother had uh, gotten sick with cancer. Uh, it was terminal. Um, and I had decided to skip school to go and visit her. My, I had dropped everybody off at school uh, because I was the only one that had a license at the time and had gone to the hospice care. And... Um, Sorry, guys. Pause one second. My daughter's crying. Sure, no worries, brother. No worries. Back at it. Um, Adam had a little bit of disruption there. What comes with family life? Um, I think we have a class on that that covers this topic of when a baby cries, you got to deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> you do indeed have to deal with it. Uh, and babies do not suffer uh, from this thing called patience because they don't have it. They have to be tended to immediately and parent requires swift action because as a parent your top priority uh, is your child regardless of everything else going on in life whether it be podcast recording or uh you know your need to go to the bathroom and relieve yourself the child comes first so uh my initial discernment was that i was going I wanted to become a priest. I had started thinking about it when I was a senior in high school. My grandmother uh, had been diagnosed with cancer and she was in hospice. So she was uh, at her sort of end stage. And this is at the same time when John Paul II uh, was reaching the end of his life. Um, my grandmother died about uh, five six days after he had passed away mm -hmm. and um he, so i had gone to the hospice center to visit her after dropping off all my siblings off at school and uh i got into the elevator and the door opened onto my grandmother's floor and i knew i was in trouble because my mom was standing there mm. she, she was talking to a priest and where i came from my parents didn't do that. To my knowledge, we didn't have friends who were priests. So my mom looked at me and said, uh, okay, so you're not supposed to be here. You're grounded for two weeks. Huh. And I said, okay, that's fair. Um, and then the priest looked at me and goes, this is your son? And my mom said, yep. He looked at me and he said, if you don't become a priest, your mother's going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, seriously or not ironically so i thought it was serious because he levied the whole hell thing which is a pretty uh, serious indictment um but then my mom started laughing and he started laughing and i was like okay so there must be something else apparently they had gone to high school together and they had just run into each other at the hospice center uh, uh and were reconnecting um wow. So that was my first introduction to um, potential like discernment. Mm -hmm. I had, yeah, it was it was an odd encounter. 
Um, but I went further in while my mom was still talking to that priest. I didn't even catch his name. Um, but I had went in further and my uh, grandfather, my papa, was sitting at my Nana's bedside uh, praying the rosary while she was receiving the anointing of the sick. Um, she was at this point no longer conscious. Uh, so she couldn't, uh, she couldn't receive the extreme unction and, um, she was getting ready to go home to God. And when I watched the anointing, it was the first time that I had witnessed the last, you know, we call colloquially the last rites. Um, but the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, it was the first time I'd ever seen it. I had only ever heard of it, but didn't know what it entailed. Mm. And watching that had a profound uh, change on me because I, you know, kind of conceptually knew what it was, but I wanted to know more. And the the thirst for wanting to know what was going on led me down the rabbit hole as to researching more about the church and more about sacraments and more about Christ and at that point, you know, I had made my confirmation, but I did it because my parents told me to do it. Mm-hmm. And I had never really accepted it uh, for any, you know, real internal uh, disposition. You know, I didn't have anything against it, but I was just like, oh, okay, I got to do this. Um, but then going through it, I was like, okay, I want to know more. So the more I studied, the more I fell in love with the more I fell in love with, the more I was like, ooh, do I want to serve uh, the church as a cleric? And, you know, for a good period of time, I thought the answer to that was yes. So I had gone on a discernment uh, retreat um, in my home diocese of Providence, Rhode Island. And I was like, okay. This this is nice. It was a you know a weekend long retreat, but you went home at night. So the time frame of this was like 2005, early 2006. Um, so we went to the seminary and learned about praying the office of the hours and you know what seminary was like. And I was like, okay, everything <laughs> seemed kind of um how should we say sugar-coated i was gonna and say was like, so uh, them showing you what seminary uh, was like was it really what seminary is like or is it what they wanted you to think seminary was yeah, like? it's what they wanted you to think what seminary was like that's what uh, i the figured li- the lived experience was very different but also i never uh spent a, a single night in a diocesan seminary so take that with a grain of salt I uh, am one of six kids, so when I had experienced uh, the discernment retreat at the diocesan seminary, I was like, eh, this isn't exactly what I'm what I'm looking for. So I wanted something that was family-oriented, and, you know, I was in a youth group at the time, so I was like, okay, I wanted to do something with the young. So I went online to this thing called vocationmatch.org, and uh, essentially, at the time, it was like the eHarmony for religious orders. I was gonna say you took that. You took that same Q and A test I took, didn't you? Mm-hmm. That <laughs> crazy lady out of Florida, man. She got a lot of people at a lot of places. Yeah, I got a, I got a, you know, ninety-three percent match with the Salesians. So I went in um, the spring of two thousand, and nope excuse me, fall of 2006. And uh, I went and visited them, did the uh, come and see weekend. And I just sort of fell in love with it. Uh, The first night I was there, they had us working in a youth center. I uh, tried breaking up a fight and got punched in the face. And I was Mm. like, oh, this is exactly where I belong. Like I can deal with this. (laughs) I'm all for this. Uh, and then I entered in August of 2007 and did it for 10 years. And it took me all over the United States and um, took me to a few different countries with Canada, Haiti, 
Jerusalem, uh, Palestine, and Jordan uh, to boot. Yeah. Oh, dude, I remember you going to Jerusalem, dude. Ugh, let uh, me tell you, that was a fun experience, but I don't want to fast forward too much into the podcast. I want to take it uh, step by step and where yeah. you want to, me to, to lead you or yeah. you to lead me, rather. Well, I mean, no, I mean, that's definitely, you know, I just, I <laughs> uh, I do love the fact that by that point we were friends and you knew me well enough to know that if anybody could find a loophole to get you chewing tobacco into a state that for, prohibits the importation of most tobacco products. I was that was boy. fun. Because <laughs> at the time, uh, I had was coming off a stint in uh, Louisiana, and I was uh, coaching. I was an assistant coach for the baseball team. Uh, for the past, like, two years. And the baseball coaches got me into dipping. So mm. I was, I was riding the high, and I couldn't, couldn't get it over there. Uh, so I was like, "Who do I know, and who can, can finagle some things for me?" And sure enough, uh, at the time, Brother Demetrius uh, came through and got the was it the postmaster or yeah yeah whomever. so so there's actually a treaty that prohibits the importation of cigarettes and cigars it specifies that into israel and so i i looked at it and i called up a couple of friends of mine you know me always gotta have a guy and i was like just want to make sure i'm reading this right I'm like yeah, yeah yeah i was like so if i send them snuff just make sure you write on the label that it's snuff yeah it's like all right all right and then the first time i did it i dropped off uh what was that two three four rolls something like that uh, yeah school. it was a very generous uh uh, very generous uh, package. Yeah, it was like fifty dollars worth of skull. Uh, and the the way it was like, it, it's saying I can't do it. I'm like, just read the actual thing. Read the pop up. Read the pop up, please, ma'am. And, and she did. And then she was like, I better uh, let me get the. Uh, I was like, go get the postmaster. Anyway, what was hopefully going to be like a 10 minute drop off luckily i budgeted time because it turned into like 45 minutes that first time around then after that they they knew but it was like it, it was funny but yeah no but so you started with the salesians in 2007 where'd you do your uh like what was uh how, I did how's, my... how's our program work yeah because like with us so we they're... go ahead go ahead no no go ahead the program for the Salesians runs in uh, a bit of a cycle. So you do either two years or one year as an aspirant or candidate, one year as a pre-novice, one year as a novice. Then you profess vows after the one-year novitiate. You do two years as a post-novice, and then two or three years uh, in what they call practical training and then after your practical training you either as a candidate for priesthood would go to major seminary or if you were a uh, what they called a coadjutor brother uh, a lay brother you would then go and do a master's degree in some professional field whether it be education or uh, social science or uh, you know Back in the day, they used to have brothers who were good in the trades, but we don't have any trade schools anymore. So that has sort of fallen by the yeah. wayside. Mm. Um, That's sad. Every religious community needs a good mechanic. Let's not lie. Mm -hmm. That's true. I mean, I, <laughs> all right, this is jumping around, but I've known my boy forever. But I, I, I still speak to mechanics. I, I just, I just can't. Oh, dude. <laughs> The fat white guy's here for his black car. <laughs> mm -hmm. So Adam, when he when after he left the Salesians, he he had a black car, and he goes up to Boston. And the uh, story here is the mechanic, when he came to pick it up, he yelled over in Spanish, you know, "Hey, the fat white guy's here uh, for his black car." Jeez. Oh, and, and Adam, having spent time in Haiti and living with a lot of Salesians, are Hispanic origin. What, what was your response, Adam? I said, yo entiendo, yo hablo. 
gracias. So I said, I, I understand. I speak it. Thank you. And the guy just kind of looked at me. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, language, language. I have to bleep that. You have to bleep that. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I didn't know if this had a. Yeah, we, we run uh, this as an plus. official podcast. So the Abbott's on us to keep it clean. My apologies, Abbott and all other people who <laughs> oversee Demetrius's uh, activities. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to give him more work. But I think, you know, Adam uh, brought up an interesting point about, you know, Adam, you said that when you were going through uh, um, the, the seminary retreat, the discernment retreat, uh, you, you thought sort of one thing about seminary, and then when you were in it, you it was a different experience. And I think that, that probably is similar to um, a lot of people who enter religious life, and they have a certain expectation of what the life is going to be like, you know, just from, you know, whatever they see on a website or um, sort of their, their preconceived notions of, of religious life. Oh, it's a monastery. Everything is peaceful all the time, 100%. There are never any problems. It is like the Shangri-La of, you know, whatever. Um, Which but, I think is a tremendous disservice to those who come on Come and See Weekends. Yes. Because they need to understand that, you know, there is a reality, and then there's here's the polished image of what we're showing you. Right. Now, I understand that the reality comes out um, as you go to make uh, the butter, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Like you you keep churning stuff out and people say, oh, this is how it actually is. But in a proper discernment, you know, especially you guys with that vow stability, you've got um, you're going to be there for your entire lives um, unless you choose to to transfer or somebody decides to elect you abbot somewhere else or you're appointed uh, to the episcopacy um you're there forever which means you sort of have some sort of caretaking over your brothers likewise with the salesians we had elderly priests who were in assisted care facilities that would come to us on sunday nights and sometimes those guys had to go to the bathroom which means sometimes you had to clean up after them Mm -hmm. uh, from going to the bathroom that wasn't really covered in the come and mm. see weekends yeah but like that's the reality of life sometimes you will be having to clean up after uh your brother and huh? there's no no job that's uh too small or you know ill-suited but you know somebody is going to have to take the car to get gas or to be serviced because not everybody is a mechanic and sometimes other people are going to have you know clean Oh, you cut out there a little uh, bit, buddy. Sometimes someone's got to take the car to get gas, and sometimes someone has to clean up the feces. Yep. Yeah, you know, and I think I think that's a great point that, you know, maybe that's a great tip for, you know, um, vocation directors or religious uh, religious communities that, and I, I really think um, that Adam's exactly on point there, that, okay, should you say, you know, should you say to the person discerning, you know, man, it's it's nice here, but sometimes it's a nightmare. No, you shouldn't say that. But you should say, hey, there's going to be things that occur that, you know, these are the types of things that can occur. People brush up against one another. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're going to ex probably experience a, a certain amount of loneliness. Uh, maybe in the beginning you're a little bit homesick or, you're, you know, it, it, it takes time to, to sort of break yourself into the life Um or like in your case, you're, you're going to have to maybe clean up after one of your brothers. I mean, I think I think if if you have a certain expectation and you aren't told those things, that actually when those things happen, you start to get a little resentful that they weren't told to you. Oh, like yeah. you weren't given a, you weren't given a heads up about it, and I think that 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 can cause an issue. Why not? That was one, one of the things that Father Demetrius told me way back when he was in uh, a young. Um, professed Benedictine. He said when we would have guys come and come and see weekends from the Franciscan University of Students, we had to put them through Catholic detox because they came in so fundamentalistly Catholic, they didn't understand what it was like to live as a Catholic in the real world. Uh, 
Oh, that wasn't me that said that. That was the superior at the time of their province. Like that was, I forget who it was, but that was because um, the Third Order Franciscans, the TORs, they um, they actually have their um, provincial headquarters like 15, 20 minutes from where I was. Loretta, when we went to the Carmel, um, that's where their provincial headquarters is. And the provincial yeah, at the time... I thought it was you. I thought it was uh, you. My mistake. Well, I, I told you the story because that was... I, I remember... Because uh, same year, um, one of my buddies from IUP and one of my buddies from high school that went to Steubenville joined the novitiate. And they had different report days for postulancy. And I was like, well, this is weird. Like, this is weird. And so one day I, I was out there for supper and I, I asked the provincial, me and him were walking around. And I was like, why, why did so-and-so have to be here? And then so-and-so, I was like, oh, that's simple. He was coming from Steubenville. They hotbox him up there. We need to make sure he actually wanted to be here. <laughs> hotbox them, he used that word. That was his exact <laughs> word. Look, we're Canberra County folk. Like we're like, especially among our own, we're blunt. You know, I mean, you've seen how it is. I mean... My friend JP, right now he's out that way, and my dad's all furious at him because JP couldn't get a hold of my dad because it's hunting season. And uh, so he stayed at a hotel last night instead of just coming into the house. And my dad's like, you know where the key is. I know what your car looks like. I'm not going to shoot you. Just come to the house. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. No, but I, I think you're right. Like, I mean, like in the rule of Benedict, like there's a reason... Benedict says nobody can strike another monk without the abbot's approval. You know, I mean, there was a period in time where monks were just decking each other. And I've heard some interesting stories of some other communities where that's happened. But, and that's it. You don't want to be telling everybody, like, all the dark secrets and, like, scaring people off. But at the same time, I do think, like, I was prepped for it. My spiritual director coming in was a monk. So, like, I was prepped for it. Like, I remember being told before I did any vocation visits to not only pay attention and listen to the people that I talked to and that they had talked to me, but pay attention to the people that they don't let talk to you and that when a guy goes to talk, they do, like, a little hand motion at the table. Like, <laughs> no, 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 not, not that story. Yeah. Not that story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember the beginning i was very like wearing the rose colored glasses and yeah. everything was beautiful but then the further i got in my discernment especially when i was getting close to you know my discernment to leave i took a back seat to um, participating in the come and see weekends because i found myself to uh i had a gripe against some of the superiors in my house so I was like, mm, I don't want to, A, badmouth the solutions because they've been nothing but good to me. It's just this one or two guys that have, you know, uh, what I feel like have done wrong by me. But at the same time, like, this guy is going to be coming into this house. I feel like he should know, you know, that the superior of the house is kind of a, kind of a jerk mm -hmm. and not living up to... Uh, the ideals that I would consider to be uh, worthy of being uh, superior of a house. Right. And I know it's different for you guys because you have an abbot and then you have a, a prior who's like the number two, correct? Right. Yeah. Correct. And then even under that, you've got guys who are in charge of the various stages of formation, right. uh, even yeah. though everything's under one house. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think, you know, Demetrius, what, you're the socius for the novices? Yeah, so um, socius is a Latin term, guys. That means ally. So it's literally my job, though I don't get paid, to just make sure that the new guys don't get frustrated and walk out. In fact, it was funny. When Abbot Richard asked me to take it over, I think I shocked him because I, I had conditions to taking it. Like, I don't think he expected me to be like, fine, but... And then he... I was like, look, the only reason I'm... The only way I'll do it is if you let me actually do it. If you want me to be the socius, then... I'm going to need the power. I'm going to need the authority to look at him like, all right, you're, you're freaking out. You're stressing out. Let's go get some food. Let's go get a beer. Let's go watch a movie. Right, right. I was like, I need the authority to excuse him some stuff. Let people know, like not just disappear, but like say like, look, you know, this needs done. Like remember, um, well, a couple of years back, it was a Super Bowl, Super Bowl Sunday. And the 
TV went out here and everything. Oh, yeah, yeah, you remember that. And I'm just like, well, this is important. And everybody in the community left, and me and uh, Brother Will and Brother Finbar. I think, I don't even know if Brother Finbar is Brother Finbar yet. But I was just like, well, it's one of my rules, so uh, we're leaving. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> I'm like, what? I was like, we're going, we're going to Hops and uh, or the Frog, and uh, I got the corporate card. We're uh, we're gonna go watch the game. I'm yeah. sure they have a stable <laughs> connection. We're going to watch the game. Yeah, and sure Look. enough, they did. Yep, <laughs> and they had free popcorn. <laughs> and I think it's a great testament to the how the Benedictines would handle things because you guys being uh, part of the you know the patrimony of that is Western monasticism. And, you know, the Salesians of Don Bosco being uh, an apostolic society, not in order, but sort of trying to live a quasi-monastic, but also an active uh, apostolate. You guys, I feel like, have adapted much better in the 21st century to rolling with the punches than, say, the Salesians have, because they're still treating everybody as if they are uh, children. Mm. You know, um, the the thing that like led me towards my discernment to being on the way out was I knew in the back of my mind, I made the deal with myself that I was not going to leave until they told me, hey, this isn't for you. But I always had the desire for a wife and my own family. And I said, nope, I'm still going to apply to go to novitiate. I'm going to apply to make my first profession. I'm going to apply to renew my vows. And finally, I was staring down the barrel of uh, my perpetual profession of having to apply for that. And I said, I can't in good conscience make this application. So I remember the the way that we did it was um, we would have to place our applications on the altar um, prior to morning mass. So between we used to do uh, meditation first followed by morning prayer, and then we would have mass following uh, morning prayer. And between morning prayer and mass, they would ask all those who are to put their application to renew their profession, to put it on, all those who, um, for one year, and then those who are doing it for three years, to put their application on the altar. And then those who are making their application for perpetual profession, to put it on. And I was the last one in the last group and I didn't go and do it. And they were like, Oh wait, so, wait, something is going off script here. What's going on. And I just sat there and went through mass and, you know, um, I didn't make that application because I knew in my heart that, um, this isn't what I felt like I was supposed to be doing. And I was doing it because I made a promise to myself 10 years ago that I wasn't going to do this unless they told me no. Mm. but I also didn't have the freedom to make that application because I had a reservation uh, within my own uh, conscience that I couldn't violate. I had to search it out. So I didn't make that application. Um, and you know the reasons aren't really relevant uh, to this podcast, uh, you know, between me, the spiritual director, and uh, my provincial at the time. Um, but I'll be happy to talk about it anytime, not on the record, okay. uh, preferably over a drink. Um, <laughs> hey, dude, those yeah. those jamos and gingers you make, man, <laughs> dangerous. They They're are heavy pours. They are. But so I did a retreat for Adam. Well, when Adam got married, he uh, conned me into doing it. And uh, what was supposed to be a nice week of vacation up there in Boston, doing a wedding and getting to chill. Turned into a retreat for the priests to the diocese, a retreat for his parish, and a wedding. Like, the only time I got the chill was when I went to the gym and uh, wrestled with uh, Mikey. Mm. Um, there's a, at the time, it was a brown belt. Um, Mikey, oh, what's Mikey's last name? Musumeci. Yeah, Mikey Musumeci. He's a big Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy. He hadn't gotten his black belt yet. He was working on it, and he, he would get his black belt a couple weeks later. But he was prepping for uh, the world tournament, and I went and I, I rolled with him, and I caught him in a move called Scorpion or Lockdown, or uh, in Judo Ashigarami, it's a leg lock, uh, where you use your legs as a guard, and uh, he beat it real quick. I mean, he's world champ. He, you yeah. know, he's legit. 
But uh, I caught him off guard with it to the point where he was like, dude, father, come back anytime. I was like, okay. I can't afford another day of this. Like, like uh, your uh, mat fee is obscene. He goes, no, 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 no. Come back anytime. We got a shower here you can use. What do they charge? For a single day? Yeah. So 50, 50 I, bucks? What? 120. Wow, really? I think it was like one. Tw- that's like monthly. That's yeah. like a monthly membership. I, 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 or maybe, maybe it was 75, <laughs> but I needed to get an Uber too. Like, it was... Uh. It was honestly like 150, almost 200 bucks to go train. Wow, it was an awesome experience. I'm not, I'm not knocking it. Like to go train, uh, you know, in the same room where you uh, see a man do it. You know, is my honor. You know, uh, Bernardo um, it was awesome. Oh yeah, yeah, huge honor for me. Yeah, huge honor for me. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was awesome. And and everybody there was great. In fact, they yelled at me because I wasn't doing enough pressure on the little guys. Uh, the bigger guys, like father, you. I've seen you do more pressure than that. We like pressure here. Yeah. He's like, um, but I don't want to. He's like, it's an advanced class. It's blue belts and up only. Like, if he can't be in a room, he can't be in a room. Yeah. Like, All right, I'll play my game. And I mean, you've you've felt my pressure now as it's kicking up. So yeah. like, you you know what that's like. So I, I felt bad for some of the tiny ones. Um, yeah. <laughs> but because uh, I was heavier too. Um, but no, but so. But yeah, so I, I went up there and, but again, one of the things Adam made me every night to help me unwind after I, I did this retreat and everything was a, was a JMO and Ginger nice. and me and him would sit there and have our drink or a little nightcap and just talk and it was a good time. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I tried to make it so that you were invited up to do retreats and do work so that it wouldn't technically count against your vacation time yeah, and put a couple was... bucks in the Abbey's pocket. Yeah, he uh, he planned that good. Just like any guy with religious experience, he he knows how to get it so that the vacation turns into a working vacation, yeah. so you don't get billed those days. Because <laughs> uh, for those of the boys and I that's listening that might not know, me and brother Will, are solemnly professed monks, we only get so many days away. We get so many days off, just like any normal job. And so you know you got to use those selectively and creatively. You know, like I know brother Will likes going fishing with his family. I uh, sometimes go see Adam before he got himself a wife and a kid. We used to go out to Pittsburgh, hit the Pens and uh, Bruins games. Mm. Uh, but yeah. But so you did? Did your uh, did your superiors know you were thinking of piecing out? So they did. The so what had happened was the superior that I had an issue with. Um, it was doing things that he wasn't supposed to do as far as immigration goes. So he was a Canadian. He ended up. Oh, um, it was that dude. It was that dude. He got <laughs> detained and deported because he was coming back and forth on a um, visitor's visa. But he was working as a religious oh. superior of a house. So they said that you're violating the rules here. You're gone. You're barred access. He had to return to Canada. So at the time we had a brand new provincial who assigned the uh, most recent ex-provincial to be the uh, administrator of the house uh, while this other guy's stuff was getting uh, fixed. So I had a good relationship with him and uh, he and I had an open line of communication and he said, I think this is a good route for you. So, um, we had this thing called the Rendi Canto each month with the superior of the house, which is an Italian term for a little talk in the ear. And we would, you know, share, you know, things about the areas of formation, your, uh, academic, your spiritual, your physical, and your social life. Like, what's going on? How are you as a person? How are you as a religious? How are you as a student? And how are those all uh, intermingling? And at the end, uh, in the rule of life, which I uh, still have on my bookshelf in my uh, office, is uh, they have like the bullet points or things that should be covered in the Rendi Canto. And one of those things was the vexations, the things that uh, bother you. So I brought it up to him and we talked about it for several months um, and he knew what was coming, but nobody else knew what was coming. And uh, I didn't tell any of my classmates and they were all shocked and saddened uh, by it. But 
you know, it was my my thing. Um, an auxiliary bishop uh, for an unknown archdiocese in New Jersey uh, was my spiritual director at the time. Um, he he knew uh, what I was doing. Um, and my idea was that I was going to leave. I was going to take two or three years and then go back uh, to New Jersey because that's where a good group of my friends are. True. And I was going to enter into um, the seminary uh, for the Archdiocese of Newark. Mm. But then I started dating and I enjoyed it very much. <laughs> and I never applied to go back to seminary. I see. You know, that's funny about the superior. It's like, it's one thing for, uh, you know, a boss that you don't particularly get along with to, to get fired. It's another thing for him to get deported. Oh, <laughs> yes. Oh, and, so, and, and there's a so, lot more to that story. I don't know if we can get into it on this, yeah. but there's a lot to that story. I remember when that story went down, it was... It, it wasn't as entertaining as when the stuff went down with the vocationists here in Jersey. I'm sure Adam remembers that story. And again, we're not going to get into that. But no, <laughs> it was just like, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it was it was rough. And Will, I'll tell you off recording, you know, what had happened. But uh, the it was the right move at the right time. And. I was very much at peace with my decision. Um, and, you know, looking back, you know, I would have done the same thing every single time. Um, one of my, uh, I, I call him like a spiritual father. Um, there was a priest friend uh, that I was very close with and, and still close with. He's an older guy, like in his 70s, and we still text and talk you know, he'll call me randomly and talk about what's going on in the province, and I'll tell him exactly why I think they've screwed up royally. Mm -hmm. Well, Bill um, just did a retreat up at Stony Point, so he probably knows exactly who you're talking about. Uh, the guy used to be at Stony Point, but he's no longer there. Oh, he's not there uh, this he year? Was, no, he was uh, transferred uh -huh. uh, to take over another house uh, that was having some difficulties. Um, but you know, he looked at me and he said, because he came up to baptize uh, my daughter uh, this past January, he said, if you could be a married priest, would you? And mm -hmm. I said, I think I would. That's an interesting um, question. Yeah. Because well, I, I still love, you know, everything about the priesthood. You know, just that desire for, for wife and family was something that I just couldn't shake. And yeah. I wanted... You know, Demetrius can tell you, I wanted to be a priest. Yeah, yeah. You hear that phrase a lot, actually, when, when talking, reading about vocations, this feeling I couldn't shake, you know, and sometimes it happens the other way. Mm -hmm. you know, I just couldn't shake the feeling of, you know, becoming a priest, you know, or, or in your case. But I think like even, a, yeah. even now, you know, you, you hear a lot more about the idea of the viri probati uh, and whether or not there's a case to be made canonically for it and you know should the church start considering it mm -hmm. and the fact that there's a conversation and a term for it means you that they've already considered it but they're afraid to implement it well i i remember right before i made final profession final vows my buddy Lyndon, uh at the time he was brother peter and he was a monk at another abbey and uh he left he Nothing untoward. He met somebody, you know, he realized just like Adam, like, look, I want a family. And he actually met the person he wanted the family with. And, uh, you know, he uh, he actually pulled off what I can only describe as the Hail Mary maneuver. Because he went from being Latin right to now I think he's Ruthenian <laughs> right. Might be Ukrainian. I remember that story. And I, and I remember because his paperwork came in like like three, four weeks after I made final vows. And I just remember calling him up and like, Dude. You couldn't give me a heads up? Yeah, I was like, you couldn't give me a heads up? Like, I was like, I'm not saying I would have changed my mind, but I'm saying all pertinent information yeah. is key here. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I was And timing sure. is everything. Yeah, yeah. He was like, I wasn't sure it was going to go through. I'm like, uh-huh. But but you found a lawyer to process it, man. Uh, Canon lawyer. Church lawyer. I was like, oh. 
No, but I think the other thing you said, Adam, too, is that, you know, you you felt like you were at peace with your decision. And, you know, I'm not a spiritual director or anything, but to me, that would be a very good sign that this is the, the right way, you know. You know, in the screw tape letter, C.S. Lewis talks about the, the tools of the devil. Uh, when Wormwood is writing to his uncle Screwtape, and he says, when all else fails, use the oldest and most trustworthy tools. And that is confusion uh, and uh, dis dishonesty and confusion. So when you sow those seeds of um, lying and confusing somebody and you feel like you're making a decision and you're just making it blindly because you can't make up your mind or you're um, confused about it or you're lying to yourself and making a decision, you know, the Jesuit discernment of spirits and everything uh, should tell you that, okay, that's not from God. That's not from the Holy Spirit. It's not a divinely inspired uh, decision that you're making up with coming to prayer. That's from the sower of darkness, uh, Satan himself, or one mm -hmm. of his minions. So you need to look at that and say, okay, if something's bringing me peace and you, you know, it's a life-changing, life-altering decision that you're making. It's going to be something that's from God. Right. You're making the right choice. I mean, I had had uh, religious uh, priests who, you know, have that gift of being able to read people tell me that I was making the absolute wrong decision. Uh, Demetrius was there one night when we were talking to one of those priests. <laughs> I remember that. I came in, you two were sitting there in the living room. I'm just like, I should go back to the hall. He's like, yep. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I had peace with the decision and I wouldn't go back on it at all. Uh, and another priest uh, up in Toronto was a Salesian priest who told me that I was uh, squandering a gift. And while that may be well and true, I can still use the gifts and talents that I've received from uh, the church towards helping the church as a layman. Um, you know, in my role now as a faith formation director, as a parish secretary, as an office manager, as a facilities guy, all sort of rolled into one, you know, I can help steer a parish community, especially the clergy in a way that many other parish secretaries may not be able to do. Right. What faith formation directors be able to do and say, hey, I get that you're tired. I get that you wear many hats during the day, but so do I. Remember that you're ordained for a reason, and it's to go and hear this person's confession who might be annoying you. That's mm -hmm. your cross to bear as an ordained member of the clergy. I said, I do it, but I can't. So you have to go. Yep. And the same reason why the priest gets the phone call at 2 a.m. and puts on uh, his clerics and goes out to anoint somebody at the hospital is the same reason uh, I wouldn't do that because I'm, you know, he has the freedom to do that. Yep. I have a wife who is my, uh, my chief responsibility and, uh, you know, my allegiances to, and my, my daughter. That's where my 2 a.m. thoughts lie, is with them. I'm not going to, if work calls me at 2 a.m., they can wait till 8 a.m. the next day before they even think about getting a response. Uh, because it's nothing is more important than my role as husband and father. Now, the guy who's in charge of the parish or a religious house, he has to worry about those things that are pertinent to his role in the church, and that's to be the spiritual father who answers those calls to meeting uh, the spiritual needs of the people in the darkest hours of the night. Uh, so, you know, yeah. it's not, it, it's a very different vocation and one that I take as being especially important is I like my role as a layman being able to help uh, direct clergy and understanding their role. Their role is not to be uh, governors or administrators. Their role is to be, for all intents and purposes, uh, 
to be dispensers of the sacraments. Mm-hmm. Well, that's and what... one of the upsides of Pope Francis doing recently, putting lay people in charge of discasteries and allowing them to be in roles of governance within the church, I think will have a good impact in the long run of getting priests out of the idea of being in the ones in charge of day-to-day operations when they don't have the training to be operations directors. Well, and that's you one know? thing I always found frustrating. I put it up in the uh, reviews every time I reviewed stuff for the seminary. was like, look, at least where we went for Seton Hall, they got that business school right there. They got a law school. I was like, you, sh- you got to be prepping the priests more if they're going into parish ministry of how to check the books, of how to do this, of how to do that, you know, of basic accounting, of basic business management, of basic, you know, how to make sure you don't run afoul of the state or the auditor. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But you're right. I mean, and that's one of the things I find funny, like you said about like going at two in the morning, like uh, Brother Will was actually around for this recently um, when we were up my folks' house. Now, my mom has been a nurse for 20 some years at this point, I think been a while it's been a while since i was in elementary school anyway um and so she's she's used to being a nurse and she you know her son's a priest and you know she she she's trained up on that so like when she needed somebody anointed and couldn't get a hold of somebody she called up the house knowing that we had what three priests at the dining room table that night <laughs> and just like yo if somebody get down here now and without hesitation whereas i remember when one of our mutual friends Adam, um, I'm not going to say who, but the person with MS, before they knew it was MS, her mother called me up like, you know, hey, so-and-so is in the hospital. They think it might be swelling on the brain. Can you come anoint her in the morning? And I was like, what, wait, what do you mean in the morning? Like, Come right now. Yeah, I was like, what hospital is it at? Like, okay, like, give me 10 minutes to get dressed and, you know, I'll, I'll you know, get in the car. I'll see you. And she's like, well, what? but it's not visiting. I was like, that doesn't apply to me. Like, like, well, good. And then it led to one of the funnier interactions because I was in there. I, I anointed this person. I'm there sitting on the edge of the bed and we're talking. And my back's to the to the door. And it's a person's my age bracket. So the nurse comes in to do like a round check. And she sees my back and she just goes, sir, I know you might be worried about your girlfriend, but you you got to leave. It's It's way too late. You got to leave. And I turn and she sees the collar and then she just looked at my friend and goes, oh, is this why you didn't want our chaplain? <laughs> and my friend just went, yeah, I have my own. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So would you say uh, any regrets from the Salesian life? Any regrets from? No, I have no up? regrets. Um, I have no regrets because everything that I learned uh, from them and while being with them has been a positive impact in my life so far even as a husband and father um, I have no regrets of going and discerning uh, a vocation because you know I gave it at the time a third of my life mm-hmm. uh, 10, 10 years out of my 30 years at the time so I entered when I was 19 I left when I was 30 and I was like, okay, this this was a good good stretch, but I know that this Salesian life isn't for me. Mm. Um, but I could, you know, definitely see myself, you know, as a priest someday. And yeah. then when I started uh, dating with the intentionality of that's the thing, dating with the intentionality of finding a spouse not dating for the sake of dating or dating for the sake of a casual hookup. I dated with the intention of looking for a spouse. And I was very open uh, with that, with the people I was dating. Mm -hmm. So no, I don't have any regrets uh, being in or being out. You know, I came there for the time that I was supposed to be there, uh, received what I needed to receive, gave what I needed to give and moved on. And I think all of that was you know, a good thing. Yeah, you know, it's something you often hear from people who maybe were in a relationship for a few years and then it, then it doesn't work out and they say, you know, I wasted three years of my life. And to me, it's like, no, no, you didn't. I mean, you, you made you made the decision you thought was the right one at the time to be with this person. And 
presumably for most of that it was going well you know um well, if, if it I wasn't, think that yeah that begs a, a different uh question or a different line of questioning depending on the individual it was did they have ulterior motives when they came in mm. and did they leave for different or more sinister ulterior motives because i know guys that i went to seminary with that left seminary because they were hooking up with a girl while they were in seminary and emotionally manipulated them mm-hmm. and then today we would call in uh the revised code on uh, book six i think vulnerable person somebody who's under your yep. care yep. um so it would be a crime today but at the time it wasn't i remember um, a couple of those situations yeah, in calling them out for it and yeah. saying, you don't belong here. You're a predator. Get get lost. Yeah. Um, and I say get lost because I can't use the foul language. <laughs> yeah, um, we appreciate that. Thinking, the, the least I'm work thinking, i got to do to cut and edit is better, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but I remember when I was leaving, <clears throat> I made the um, – I made the promise to myself that I would not attempt to enter into a relationship with anybody who knew me as a religious brother. Cause I felt like that would be weird. Mm. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be goofy. Yeah. It'd be goofy, but also, you know, it would have been easy to try to talk to somebody. Oh, uh, sure. You know, I remember there were some focused missionaries who, <laughs> you know, wanted to, uh, me to leave and date them. I was like, uh, no, no. <laughs> uh, I remember the you one. Know? I remember the one. Yeah. I remember looking at the one. And I remember pulling you aside, like, dude, be careful with that one. Be careful. You know, there was a, a pink song, Just Give Me a Reason. She said, hey, listen to the song. I like it a lot. And like, I was dumb at the time. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's a nice song. The name of the song was Just Give Me a Reason. Yep. And I was like, oh, that's what she meant. Yep. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, so no, hey, you need you... to look at the ulterior motives of the individual. If they feel like they've wasted their time, they weren't there for the right reasons to begin with. Yep. And I would say this, man: if you didn't become a Salesian, you didn't do that. You know, I wouldn't have the one dude I keep a snap streak with. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, we 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 went through some funny stuff. I, heck, we were so close in seminary. The way we'd actually fight with each other, mess with each other, bust each other's chops. I mean, heck, Glazov, I don't even know if Glazov still doesn't realize, like, we're not actually biological brothers. Yeah, that's fair. Because he, you know, he's by far one of the smartest men that I've ever met. And he would give me the time of day knowing that I was a lazy academic because I didn't see the point in giving the academics the time of day because... But I could articulate to him my reasons why mm-hmm. and still have a good discussion with him. And he would sit down and talk to me in the foyer of the seminary and brush off other professors who would talk to him or mm-hmm. other um, priests, uh, now priests, but seminarians who were trying to uh, brown nose him. And he'd mm-hmm. be like, go away. I'm talking. Yep. And he would just sit down and talk to me. And I was like, oh, the does he know that I don't care about the <laughs> academic things? <laughs> like, well, he he's very much a guy. Don't waste his time. Like I remember, unless he like, uh, once he once you're in his good graces, like he's and and this dude is an Oxford PhD, a legit Rhodes Scholar. I mean, frighteningly brilliant. Um, and uh, but like at the same There's time, so few of us. <laughs> great sense of. Like, I remember one time, just like what Adam was saying, like, I remember one time me and him were sitting there, not me and Adam, me and this professor were sitting there watching uh, Eddie Izzard's Latin is such a silly, silly language. And uh, one of the other Salesians, it was uh, your Haitian friend, we won't use his name, but you know exactly who yeah. I mean, Adam, knocked yep. on the door. And uh, this guy was not a strong academic. Great guy, but not, not a strong academic. And he's just like... I have a question about the paper and Dr. Glazov just like I'm busy. <laughs> don't, I don't have time for you right now. It's like this <laughs> this is not office hours. And I'm just looking, I'm like, huh? <laughs> but again, heck of a nice guy. Like one of my favorite professors. But it was funny because I remember when Adam first had him, 
Adam comes out and is like, he kept asking questions for me about you. I think he thinks we're blood. <laughs> uh, yep. But, because that was back when you had, um, so Adam did a couple years at Seton Hall, then he did his um, time in Louisiana, and then they sent him to Jerusalem, and then this was like the second round back at Seton Hall. So like, I Yeah, was... so I did my first year of theology in Jerusalem. Uh, studying at the, the, they call it the OOPS, the Universal, Universita Pontifica Salesiana, the Salesian Pontifical University. So had I stayed the course, I would have had a pontifical degree. Um, but I, they, after one year, and, and at the time we had a troubled uh, provincial who was mentally unwell, and he changed his mind and said, I want you to do your second theology back here in the United States. And I was like, okay, I didn't do anything wrong. Like, mm -hmm. why are you pulling me back? He goes, we're just pulling everybody out from the international schools and we want them to stay here in the United States. And I said, okay, fine, no problem. So I went back to Seton Hall and that's when I was introduced to Glazoff. Mm -hmm. That was 2016. Yeah, and he's... Great dude, great dude. So we're coming up on almost the hour mark. Uh, keeping in mind that this has to go out to the public and I have to survive a censor, um, you want to give our boys that might actually listen to this like a good story about uh, about me from a seminary? Mm. <sighs> so let's see. Do you want... Let's see. Good story about you from seminary. I, I have all the fun stories that probably wouldn't be great for um, for the thing. But as far as uh, fun stories, I would say the story of – have you ever talked – and bleep this out if you uh, can't talk about it mm – -hmm. but the story of – because uh, of so, the... Yeah, I don't tell that one. Uh, you... <laughs> <laughs> Be careful was, what you wish for. That there. was a fun one. That was a fun <laughs> one. No, but um, I have told the story about that uh, stuff that went down in uh, Dr. Traflett's class. Yeah, that's a good one. Because not only are you a smart cleric, you're also a smart academic. And when signs and meanings mean things and matter, uh, knowing where you're being sent uh for depending on the uh supposed or alleged infraction mm -hmm. kind of matter mm -hmm. um but you know it's been what six years now seven years since that happened oh yeah but the um, funniest thing i ran into her cousin up in uh at cmsm in august and once she realized uh -huh. it was me, she's like, oh, I've heard the story from you. <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what is yeah, the Demetrius story? Is... Oh, okay. Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> no, go for it, brother. Go for it. You know the story. You're, you're the one who uh, made me hold the out of order sign after everything went down. Yeah. So I, I have that picture on my phone still. Do you? Uh, you got to send me that. I, I don't have it. I need that picture. I came across it the other day. Nice. Um, so I wasn't in the class, but I heard about it after the fact because you were you were two years ahead of me on the um, rotation. Believe, yeah, two years ahead of me in the rotation because of me having to do uh, the Terracinium and then going to Jerusalem. So the New Orleans thing threw me off from the scale. Uh, but you were in, I forget what Traflip taught. It had to be canon law, I think. No, no, no. She She's not a canon lawyer. She's a civil lawyer. Specializes civil in lawyer. Uh, like personal injury. Um, no, it was uh, spiritual something, spiritual mystic, something like that. But we had to pick from a list of presentations on the seven last words. And that's essential for this story. So you only have so many things that you can choose from with a project like that. Mm -hmm. And the way that the sign-up sheet was going was front to back and then back to front, up and down serpentine style. And somebody decided to take the sign-up sheet 
and pass it diagonal as it was supposed to go to uh, Demetrius. Literally the dude right behind oh, me. Oh, yes, I do know this story. Literally the dude right behind me. Right. And Demetrius took great umbrage with it. And, you know, because this is a family-friendly podcast, right. words were said that could not be unsaid. Yeah, and I, I, I do remember looking and, like, I did not mean to say that out loud. <laughs> and I believe the words used were... I didn't mean to say it, but I stand by it. Yeah, so so I meant to utter something under my breath. I'm sure people can understand what it was. And again, we're not going to say it so we don't get yelled at for language here. It was, oh, fiddlesticks, I'm so mad. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, so long story short, the professor, God love her, she, she's a good woman, very good woman. She, she, she looks at me and she goes, you owe him an apology. And I look back at him. I looked back at her and I looked back at him and I went, you know, I, I didn't mean to say it. I really didn't, but I got to stand by it. (laughs) (laughs) Which is such a Demetrius line, right? (laughs) It's like kind of an apology, but also not. It's like, look, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie here. (laughs) It's not even an apology. It's a, I will not, under any circumstances, violate my own conscience. Yeah. And while I did not intend to say my inner feelings out loud, I stand by it. Yep. So then, my tell the rest of the story. dialogue became an outer dialogue. <laughs> I think you have to. Yep. And then, uh, why don't you tell the rest of the story there? What happened there? Do you remember? So she said, uh, "Go to." the dean's office she sent me to the rector she goes go to the rector go go to the rector's office and you asked a clarifying question do you want me to go see the dean or do you want me to go see the rector now the thing about seminary especially in at that level is that usually the dean the academic chair and the rector the ecclesial chair sit with the same person But who you're sent to go see is very important when it comes down to academic procedure because signs and symbols mean things. If you're sent to one versus the other, it's an ecclesial issue. If you're sent to the dean versus the rector, it's an academic issue. Demetrius was sent to go and see the rector for an ecclesial issue yep. but this was an academic issue which makes the entire thing moot because that, that was one of the things i looked at and i says like why why are you sending me to the rector then because i'm a graduate student so if you want to send me for a discipline thing i got to go see janine who's the dean in charge of discipline for the graduate students and she just had this i'm sending you to the rector you know what i mean okay she got caught <laughs> she got caught in yeah but it, but it's funny. She got she got got. <laughs> but it was funny because because uh, I think I also made the comments like and 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 the and Janine's gonna see my name. She's gonna be like, huh? It's been a while since I saw him. He's getting better. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Tom Larusa, the vocationist, just looked at her and goes, Doctor Traflett, I, I I know you think he's kidding right now, but 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 he's not. <laughs> and all the other seminarians are just like. Yeah, we love our boy, but uh, our boy has his own moral code. Right. But yeah, no, I mean, and God love, uh, God love the rector, God love Riley, because like when he found out what went down and everything, like he, he was very understanding. Like he was actually, he was one of the guys that, like Adam was like, look, it seems like you're under a lot of stress here. Like you got a lot of stuff. Why don't you, uh, why don't you go see Livy? Livy was the uh, in-house diocesan seminarian's uh, psychologist, and uh, she's like, "What?" He's like, "Why don't you go? Why don't you go see Livy? Why don't you go see Livy?" And he and Adam was like, um, "Hopefully, Adam's okay with me saying this." But even Adam was seeing her at the time, and Adam's like, "Yeah, take my appointment. You got it, bro." Mm. Yep. And the thing that I, I loved Riley about he is good at seeing through the red tape nonsense and dealing with an issue head on. Yep. He's you know, a good he priest. Things, he's a great priest and he handled everything like a priest first and an administrator second. 
So even though he was the rector of the seminary and in charge of governance and that stuff, he understood that the person of Demetrius uh, needed to let off some steam and vent, and then he would deal with it, um, even though it wasn't his jurisdiction to deal with. Oh, yeah. And I still remember the exact words he said to me, too. He grabbed me because uh, he wasn't there when I initially went to the office. So he actually found me in the Duncan, and he pulled me aside and he goes, look, I understand, trust me, I understand wanting to say that, especially to certain people, because he knew who I said what I said to. And he's like, but you can't in the middle of class. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that is a kind of very sort of wise way to approach it. I know, like, you know, in, in, in teaching, especially in, in, in the first couple of years, you know, a kid maybe gets a little out of line and your first reaction is just kind of to go, you know, to go uh, like a hundred percent, right? You know, discipline them and and right. and but you know, you as you as you go on, you find that well, maybe there's something going on there that is causing him to act like this. You know, and maybe it's better to have a conversation and then see how that goes. And that's one thing I always tell the kids I teach, and hopefully they know it. But like, look, I even have it in my syllabus. Like, look, normally you can't hand anything in late, but life happens. So like, if something's coming up. Let me know. Like, there's been times where I've just let kids out of assignments because, like, they had some major drama going on. I'm like, dude, don't, you don't need to worry about this right now. Yeah. Well, I don't want to have to make it up later. I didn't say you did. Like, look, deal with your stuff. Like, you're sick, go to bed. Right. Like, you're dealing with drama stuff at home? Okay, cool. Go talk to Durso. Go take care of it. Like, go right. see somebody. Right. Because, you know, Ultimately, like, yeah, I'm a teacher, but I'm a priest first, you know, ultimately speaking, like Adam said earlier, like, that's my job. That's literally the tattoo I got on my soul to quote mm -hmm. Aquinas, not Aquinas, Augustine, Augustine Hippo, you know, I mean, so yeah. The indelible mark is there for a reason. Exactly. That has to be the first thing that you default to. Exactly. But that said, I mean, we're past our hour mark, which is what we shoot for. Um, Adam, man, it's been great having you on. Hopefully things are good. Um, yeah, I think it's great. And hopefully this, uh, can be, uh, you know, I'd love to have you on again, my brother. I was on yours a couple of times. I'd love to have you back. Likewise. I'd love to be back. Thank you guys. No problem. Awesome. Thanks, Adam. So, um, just peace out here after we peace out, Adam, if you want to hang on the line, you can, um, yep. guys, uh, hopefully this came out. Okay. Again, we're, Experiment with a new thing here with the Roadcaster, letting people call in. Hopefully everything looks okay. Hopefully the mix was good. I'll try to EQ some stuff afterwards. Um, but again, cracks in the cloister. This was Father Demetrius. And Brother Will. And on our line we had... Adam. <laughs> All right, guys. Peace.